What is Phineology? Here we explore our personal relationships with money, money's nature, and how we exchange value in daily life. Grounding ourselves in the liberal arts, we explore Financial Planning 3.0 from the inside out. Addressing money as the most powerful and pervasive secular force on the planet. Mysterious Money Merits Study. Hi, welcome to the What is Phineology podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Wagner Willis. On today's episode, we have Eric Milam, CFP and a certified life planner with TrustCore in Nashville, Tennessee. Full disclosure, Eric is a longtime friend of mine and a huge inspiration for the good things that money has the power to do. When we recorded this episode, the coronavirus had just begun to affect the U.S. with our stay-at-home orders and the economic shutdown. One of the things that extreme situations like this do for us is help us recognize what is and isn't deeply important. In today's episode, Eric and I explore two stories. The first of King Midas and his golden touch. The second is Eric's personal story of adoption and being a special needs child and how money played a supportive but essential role in his becoming a self-actualized adult. We use these stories to explore the nature of money and ask if we sometimes expect too much from it. As a culture, do we tend to conflate all value into money, like Midas and his touch? How do we learn to recognize the ineffable? And if you're a financial planner, what can we expect from money? What is Phineology? Here we explore our personal relationships with money, money's nature, and how we exchange value in daily life. Grounding ourselves in the liberal arts, we explore financial planning 3.0 from the inside out. Addressing money as the most powerful and pervasive secular force on the planet. Mysterious money merits study. Hi, this is Jake Wagner, co-founder of the What is Phenology Project. If you're new here, we highly encourage you to listen to episode zero, in which we share where the project started, where we're going, and some of the intellectual basis that we've used to build our body of work. We are grateful that you are a part of the conversation. Please visit www.whatisphenology.org to share your comments and questions. Now, back to the episode. One day, an angel appeared. I'm guessing you already know the rest of the story. The angel empowered Midas to turn all he touched to gold. This included his castle and its furnishings, his clothes, his flowers, everything. After a while, Midas got hungry. But when he touched his food to eat, presto, gold. This is a problem, thought Midas, but the worst was yet to come. In thoughtless despair, he hugged Marigold. She, too, turned into gold, a statue wailing regret.
Hello, thank you for joining us on the What is Phenology podcast today. We are here today with Eric Milam. Good morning, Eric. How are you? Hi, Natalie. Good morning. I'm great. Eric and I want to start this podcast by sharing two stories with you. One you should be familiar with, and one is very personal to Eric and has been a substantial part of helping Eric become who he is today. So with that, I will share the first, which is the classic tale of King Midas. Once upon a time, there was a king. His name was Midas. Midas loved gold more than anything. It was on his mind day and night. More gold, he consistently obsessed. It was all he could think about. It was all he thought he needed. Midas had a daughter, Marigold. He loved Marigold as only a father can love a daughter. He lived in a beautiful castle. He ate wonderful foods and he drank astonishing beverages. His clothes were only the finest. His gardens were magnificent, but still he craved more gold. And one day his wishes were answered. Now, many of you know the rest of the story, how Midas gained the golden touch. He went across his castle, turning everything to gold from his fountains and his statues. Eventually, he became a little bit hungry and he went to eat some food. Well, the food turned to gold with his golden touch. Eventually, he came to his daughter and going for a deep hug to comfort him in his time of confusion, he suddenly turned his beautiful marigold to actual gold. I think there are some very interesting lessons here with regard to what money or gold can and cannot do for us. With that, Eric, would you please share your story? Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Natalie. I think all life experiences affect us and kind of give us a lens through which we view the world. And my a couple of life experiences that I've had really impact how I view life and how I view money and also how I counsel clients through financial planning. And my life experiences that I'm talking about are one is I was born with, I was born prematurely and used to have a speech impediment so bad I couldn't answer the telephone as part of my struggle growing up. I also have mild cerebral palsy and walk with a limp. And when I was born, I was, my parents were told when I was two that I wouldn't ever walk upstairs. And on top of that, I was also adopted out of the NICU as well. And so I had some medical challenges growing up. And what I'm aware of now is that through my adoption, you know, I was given a loving family and also a family with enough means to take care of me and my needs in terms of, you know, having surgeries and speech impediment and a great education. And I look back at my adoption as a real blessing in terms of having the ability to overcome some of these obstacles and realizing that love is a huge part of that and being in a family of love is huge and also money is an ex- is a necessary conduit for opportunity healing 
other things that that I was able to have through my parents having the means to provide for me. So the money itself was in the hands of these parents who loved you deeply, similarly to Midas loving his daughter deeply. But the way that it was used contrasts sharply. Mm. What would you say they, how was it that they conducted their money in such a fashion that supported you becoming who you are? Well, I think for my parents, they really desired first child who they could love. My dad was in Vietnam, and so they got started late in terms of having children. They they were not able to have a child of their own, and they really, really desired to have a child who they loved. And I think that love of that for me really drove them to provide for me and use their money to provide for my needs, regardless of the fact that, I mean, I had needs that most kids didn't. So that's actually very touching to think about and to appreciate as an adult now and look back at just the the unselfish use of money to provide for someone else. I mean, that's what, that's what parents do. That's what I do for my children. And, you know, money sometimes gets a bad rap. It can be a, an expression of care and love. And I think that contrasts with Midas. While he loved his daughter, he was also mostly driven by the greed for more and not necessarily driven by love of, of himself or his daughter, even though he loved her. So I'll share with the listeners that I'm reading this story out of my father, Dicker Richard Wagner's Financial Planning 3.0, which many of you might be familiar with this as his book. I want to follow the story, these two stories with the direct quote out of this book. Trouble was Midas's belief in gold, his love of gold, had no reference to gold's inherent capacities and function. Market value was irrelevant. Gold was structurally incapable of meeting Midas's needs. The way that your parents used money to meet your needs, what I love about this is that it's showing us what money can and cannot do. You cannot eat money. It can have the capacity to take us away from the things that actually nourish us, kind of encapsulate us in this golden, golden statuesque form. But when used for the functions that it is capable of doing, it took you as a special needs child and met your needs and helped cultivate you physically, but and maybe this is a good transition into something you wanted to talk about with Maslow's hierarchy. It met your physical needs, but it went so far beyond that. And you went from a child who was told you couldn't go upstairs at two to a football star in high school, right? I wouldn't say a football star, but I did participate and play football on a state championship football team. And um, that experience really changed my life. So, and I also was able to attend a really, really great school. And I think being in a a wonderful school really took me from good to great in terms of being a student. And so, yeah, so I wouldn't say football star, but, but I definitely had a 
amazing experience that, that, that really changed my life through my education and also through playing football. And these are things that money played a key role in facilitating. Without money, those things wouldn't have happened. Yeah, probably not. So what I think is so fascinating here is looking at and honoring what money can do and also recognizing what it is functionally incapable of doing. In light of understanding that money is only a means to value, but not as value itself, that you cannot eat it, you cannot, it does not provide warmth if you hug it. But, and so we have to find our access to those things in ways outside of money. But we also can honor money and what it does do. And then that way, have a, have a healthy relationship with how to engage with it, with power, with strength, and also when to understand that it is not going to meet the needs that, that are at play. Absolutely. And just to go back to kind of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I mean, through my journey through high school and playing football and very similar, if you've ever seen the movie Rudy, to the, the kind of the, the perseverance and you know, the emotions that the character had in that movie, I, I can really identify with. and. And through having opportunity at the school that I went to and and through being able to get medical care and then to have access to just a place that was very nurturing and challenging, I really went through the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and felt it. I didn't take it for granted. It was kind of like I went from a person who could hardly walk as a child to being able to run, you know, run stairs and jump hurdles and do these things. And I really transition through Maslow's hierarchy of needs to a point of like self-actualization when I realized that having a stuttering problem, which I'm even grateful to be able to be on this podcast with you and be able to talk. It's and also, you know, having mild cerebral palsy and kind of when we won the state championship in football, I know it sounds corny, but it was like those things didn't define me anymore. And that's, that's when that self-actualization piece, when I kind of felt that for the first time, of, I felt some freedom. And I can look back and, and see money's thread through that. And that's how I see money as kind of a thread, like it or not, through a person's journey in their life to self-actualization. And, and it can provide opportunity and you know, money is functional. And it's also a means to an end. It's not the end. It's not the end value. Money can point to what's valuable to each of us. And I think Midas's problem is that he gave it too much value. He thought money itself had value and he missed what he got confused. And I can see how that can happen to all of us in different ways. In dad's book right here, He says that he suggests this is a fable of misplaced faith. Midas's love for his daughter was very genuine, and he was looking to cultivate what he thought was the best. So this story relates very strongly back to us because, and again, I'm out of dad's book here. We have sons and daughters. We love only as parents can. Most of us live in comfortable houses, eat wonderful foods, and drink astonishing beverages. Our clothes are fine, clean, and serviceable. 
We have magnificent gardens. All of this depends on money. But hey, there ain't no angels here. We don't need no stinking angels, referring to angels being the ones that gave him the Midas touch. We've been doing just fine trying to change everything into money all on our own. So where are we jumping ahead and trying to get love for our children to connect with money, whereas we would do better by realizing money, as you put it, as a thread in supporting the human development to self-actualization, but not misplacing it and putting it as the end, the means and the end. Yeah, absolutely. And not asking money to do things that it isn't meant to do. And I think that that is something that can be very apparent in terms of, you know, it's kind of easy to see when people are driven by greed. There's other ways where this issue becomes a little more subtle in terms of asking something of your portfolio, let's say, to provide a feeling of real security. And it can do that to a point. But in many ways, sometimes we're asking too much of money and or we ask the wrong things of, of money in terms of like, for example, in times of market volatility, like we might be seeing right now, if you're listening to this, is if a person has a long-term portfolio, sometimes they can get confused and think that that is going to make them feel secure in the short term. And most of us advisors know that that's not true. And we try to advise clients to have more balance in how they invest their money and where they put it. But for some of the masses that maybe don't have an advisor to to walk with them or don't see the need for one, sometimes in, in times of market volatility, what gets exposed is people run for the exits because they're looking for their long-term financial assets that are volatile to provide them a feeling of security when they're chasing returns, et cetera. And it's just not meant to do that. And that's why you see so much pain when markets go down and, and people are looking at the short term, looking for that feeling of real security when it's not designed to do that. And that causes pain very similar to what our friend Midas experienced. Uh, it's, it's a similar feeling in my book. We are grateful and appreciative of our financial supporters. Your support warms our hearts and helps us share this essential wisdom that is shaping the future of the financial planning profession and our collective relationships with money. Thank you to our current sponsors, TrustCore Financial, Richard Sincere, and the Financial Planning Association. The despair... And the, um, well, I imagine it's one of the things that I see going on here is it's a huge blow to worldview that Midas had this conception that gold held a value that was so supreme that, uh, that it was what there was to aim for. And that understanding got absolutely, absolutely exploded. He hugged his daughter in despair 
because his world was completely falling apart around him. And then his truest love turned to a statue, not a daughter. So how do we, you know, Eric, you have been in this business a long time, but one of the things that's so impressive about you and one of the reasons why we want you on this podcast is that you have such a heart-centered relationship with working with people and their money lives. So when people are looking at a volatile market and they of course need to eat today and tomorrow, and they may or may not be using money from those, from their investments to do so, you know, how do people, what should people look at to understand where other value lies in the face of financial volatility of value? Because it, it certainly does exist. I mean, money is only ever a means to value. So how can we keep ourselves feeling secure and that we do have access to the value that we hold dear when the pieces of paper and the, when, when this market is going up and down so much? I think that's a challenge for all of us, you know, but I think it comes back to understanding, you know, what is really important. And I can't define that for other people. And I'm not saying, you know, that I'm immune to it in terms of, you know, market volatility or placing money on a pedestal in my own life at times. But I think love ultimately is is something that we can all fall back on. And I think one thing that your dad was onto in creating this word phonology was that, you know, we tend to look at portfolios in isolation. And unless you're a financial advisor, you're probably not talking to that many people in your life about their portfolios. And one thing that I'm seeing is that many people have similar emotions during market volatility or times of of crisis in the world. And that kind of weaves this thread of we're all in this together. And I think something that your your dad was onto with phonology is that one thing that I think phonology can address is the connectedness of this need for a value exchange. But really, the money was created to be functional as a medium of exchange for goods and services which is in your dad's book, but it's also a medium of exchange between people. So money is inherently connecting us to others. And a lot of times we look at a portfolio and we say, well, my portfolio went down. Well, so did everyone else's. And so how are we in this together in terms of loving one another through difficult times? And how do we support one another in our society through our money. And maybe when things happen, it illuminates what money can and can't do a little more. And so I think it's just an interesting, like I think money can be viewed through a financial lens. It can also be viewed through a social lens. Mm Mm-hmm, definitely. So one thing that this is bringing up for me coming back to these two stories is what is the values? I love how you said how money connects us all. And it really connects the value that we hold inside and that we generate 
it connects that with others and what they, it connects what we produce and consume. So we have this beautiful value and we put it out and then it, it connects us through what we use our money for and then bring into our lives. So how do we look at the connection between people sort of before and after money and what it means where the foundation is that money grew out of and where is that connection that is almost primordial to money and then what still remains above and beyond money that is our connection points which then leaves us to where is the right where is money's place money does a heck of a lot of things very well and for example help you with your physical health, help you put yourself into a place to be on a football team to achieve self-actualization. So what can we do with money to, to serve our actual needs? And I'm not asking you to have the answers. I'm just poising the questions. Where do we find money's true functionality and value in, in light of our connection? which will always exist before it existed before money. And it will certainly, certainly exist. If anything were to ever happen to money, it will certainly exist after. So that's an interesting point that I feel like I have to be a Wagner to, to go that deep. That's deep stuff there, Natalie. Um, but I'll, I'll try to talk about it this way. And maybe this makes sense. Maybe it doesn't, but like I kind of, because of my physical challenges, and early growing up, my lack of ability compared to my peers was staggering. And then I had surgery. I had three surgeries to enable me to walk, to enable me to be able to function. And I think that through that's the lens in which I and and then I took that from there and worked out a lot and took care of my body and became a version of myself that nobody thought. I can become, but I had this dream that like I wanted to play football and, and I wanted to, to be stronger than I could ever have imagined when growing up and feeling so different and so less than. And I think money to me can provide opportunity just like surgery did for me, you know, in terms of or speech therapy. But at some point, someone has to take that opportunity or that gift and like use it, multiply it, continue to I mean spread goodness from that or or even love. And so I feel like just like the surgery kind of has limitations. It's like the surgery provided me ability to do something different and new. And I think money can be like that increase our ability to to make an impact in our own lives and the lives of others, but only to a point then we have to kind of take that education or that opportunity that money provides and, you know, make a difference in our own way with it. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Money was only an ingredient in facilitating Eric's self-actualization. The love of your parents, the attention, the, all of the things that they did that were the human side of things money would never have facilitated Eric if it weren't for that. And then you took, you took it, you, you made a life, you 
gave it new life when you integrated it into who you are and did that self-actualization. Cause really you're the one that did it, not the money, not even your parents. You're the one who self-actualized. And I also think that what, and I think the analogy that we can use with my situation is like the self-worth has been a journey for me and something that your dad and we haven't really talked about your dad's role in my life, but you know, one thing that, that he did for me was he, he saw me in a way that, that I'd never been seen before. Like, cause I view money through this lens and I found in your dad, a, like a, a kindred spirit and someone who saw money in a similar way that I did. And at the same time, he also saw in me, my struggles for self-worth and was able to speak to that and even joke with me about it and say, Hey man, if you could do something about your self-doubt, like that would be good for the rest of us. Um, (laughs) And I love your father so much. And I think something that I have always struggled with as you know, through childhood was feeling worth less because I had less ability. And you know, I think I got a lot of self-worth right or wrong through being on the football team. You know, it was a sense of belonging. It was a sense of maybe I'm not totally abnormal. I could do this. But I I kind of willed myself into that person. My orthopedic surgeon said I was the strongest willed person he's ever seen. And he was a pretty busy orthopedic surgeon. And so that's that's kind of interesting. And so I think for me, football, this was kind of a band-aid for that self-worth piece. And in my adulthood, I've really had to find it. And I think that's true for the rest of people too. I think that's a journey of, of self-worth for all of us in our lives. And where I think money falls short is money cannot provide self-worth. And just as my surgeries and increased ability and how much could I bench press, you know, didn't take the place of that self-worth piece for me. And I think in our culture, I think what you're worth financially can be tied to someone's sense of self-worth in their adulthood. And that will eventually, money will never be enough to fulfill that hole. And I think that's what the Midas story kind of talks about. And I think in some ways, I'm admitting that, that that's been part of my story is I had to find and journey to realizing that that my worth is intrinsic to me and not based on what I do or what physical abilities I have or don't have or how much money I have. Wow. It's profound and beautiful. I think it is so important. And one of the key demands of phenology to understand what money's worth actually is, what its functionality, what the money forces, what they are, what they can do, what they will do in some cases, but also to understand what money cannot do and help us cultivate our relationship with value outside of money and not conflate all value into money in the sense that self-worth is not money and self-worth has a value that is priceless. 
So this is one of the ways in which I believe the study of phenology is so important. And we want to get into people's heads and hearts with thinking about who they are in this world and what money means in our lives and how we can honor and utilize money while at the same time honoring all of the value that exists elsewhere. And, and yeah. just simply having that relationship being kind of right relationship there. I think that's important and, and understanding the limitations of money around that and, and being able to name that for ourselves and for our culture and being, being real um, about what money can and cannot do, I think could both increase our joy in life and also maybe insulate us from the pain that sometimes the over-reliance or putting things on money that it's not really designed to do, that eventually ends in, in a painful experience. And so, right. yeah, I think by having these honest conversations and through exploring what phonology is, both personally and, and culturally, and the reason why your dad had the courage to create that word and to acknowledge that it needs to exist is a really beautiful and noble endeavor. It is. And it's a beautiful and noble endeavor for all who are participating in this shift of what we're paying attention to when we look at money, because it is important to study the economy and the social waves and and this and that. And it's important to study spending and unemployment, all of these things that are widely talked about. But when we're talking about these very, very personal stories of navigating money in our lives, money touches everything. And at the end of the day, it's about people, not the other way around. So let's talk about us in relationship to this, this crazy stuff called money. Hmm. Eric, I thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an absolute delight. Treasure your friendship for many years and, and expect you into the future. So until the next time, and thank you for your, your vulnerability and your insights. Awesome. Thank you, friend, for this opportunity. Fantastic. Thank you all for listening. And that is our podcast for today. What is Phenology? Be well. I want to thank the What is Phenology team, co-founder, curator, and managing producer, Jacob Wagner, senior assistant, Natasha Hogut, our CFP consultant, Dave Bowman, and project producer, Gail Pelsu. This episode of the What is Phenology podcast is dedicated to our guiding light, the father of phenology and co-founder of this project, Richard Wagner. Without you, this doesn't happen. And thank you to you, our listeners. This conversation needs you. Please send us your thoughts and questions at whatisphenology.org or on Facebook and tell anyone and everyone you think might be interested. We're looking to change the world by getting into people's heads and hearts and profoundly shifting our relationships with money. People need to know that we're here. I am your host, Natalie Wagner-Willis, 
as always, be well.